0: Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Bear. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. Today. It is Mother's Day, if we had to tell you. So welcome to our 11 o'clock service. Um, we are continuing in the Gospel of... Matthew, that's right, we've been in Matthew for about four or five months. We go through chapter by chapter and verse by verse, so it takes a a little while. If you remember last week, we we began the eighth chapter of Matthew, and um, uh, the idea was to talk about three different healings. Remember that? We had the healing of the leper, then we had the healing of the centurion's son or the centurion's uh, servant, and then we had Peter's mother-in-law. Uh, now, our, my sermon title today, we're going to be in chapter 8, is a full-time job. And you'll see how we continue with that. Um, in fact, we went from the mother-in-law or, uh, last week right into Mother's Day this week. Isn't that a clever segue? I, I thought so. I thought so. I also saw this, uh, this uh, marquee at the Community Presbyterian Church, and I liked it. It says, as evolution is true, why do mothers have only two hands? Two hands, and, and see, that, that applies as well with what we're talking about, because uh, to mothers, it, it's a full-time job, right? I, I mean, I remember back when, when my wife became a mother. It was amazing how busy she all of a sudden got. It's it's, it's a full-time job. It's a a true commitment. Sometimes we we don't understand the commitment that's actually required, which is going to tie right in with our our message today. We'll be reading from Matthew chapter 8, verses 16 through 22. Again, the title of my message is A Full-Time Job, and we're beginning in verse 16. Matthew writes, When evening had come, they brought to him, that's Jesus, many who were demon-possessed. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. And when Jesus saw the great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. Then a certain scribe came and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. You know, there's a, a lot of young people that are finishing up their education, whether it's at FAU or University of Florida, some great school, or maybe master's program. They're finishing up their education, and they're, they they want to be able to get out there and, and make it, right? They want to make it, regardless of whether their education's in in medicine or law or one of the professions, or maybe they want to be a teacher or a nurse or maybe even be a pastor. Um, they want to make it. Now, to them, make it means all different kinds of things. It depends on the individual. Some just want to be able to be done with that stage in their life to be able to go on to the permanent stage or their uh, income-producing stage. Maybe they want to make it by making a lot of money. Uh, maybe some want to be able to actually do their profession rather than just be a, a student of the profession. Whatever it, whatever it was, um, making it means something very particular to them. Uh, I, I remember back in my early 20s, I was at Ford Motor Company. I think I, was, I thought I was making it, right? And I had a great job. I had graduated with a, with a degree in in, uh, in finance. I had a master's degree in business, and I was making it. I was in the finance office, and the Lord got a hold of our hearts. And I've told you the story before. My, my wife was pregnant. We ended up going back to church. And one thing led to another. And God changed our life. And it was shortly after that that I was perplexed because I really felt that I was called to preach. And I went and talked to our pastor who was one of my best friends at the time. And I, and I told him that I had, I had made a huge mistake because I had, had, had pursued a business career and I had a master's degree and I was doing okay at Ford, but that really wasn't what God had called me to do. And the reason I tell you this story is because of what he told me. He explained to me that we get it wrong, that we think that there are sacred professions and secular professions, that there are sacred jobs and secular jobs, but but that's the wrong perspective. That's not how God looks at it. To God, any career, any job, if it's what God has called you to do, is is noble. It's worthy. It's exactly what you're supposed to do. In fact, he used the example of a young mother, knowing that we had my wife at home. A young mother, there's no better profession than being called to be a mother, because you're the nurturer. You're the one that are taking care of boys and girls and babies and toddlers and adolescents and teenagers and young adults. We need our, our mothers, and it's a, it's a very, very fine career. Now, he also told me that if God had called me to ministry just to hold things lightly and ultimately uh, that might open up, and it did. But the reason I tell you the story is because of his comments on what it meant to be a, a mother. And, and part of that is the commitment that a mother has, because it's a, it's a full-time job. I mean, it really is. I remember when, when about that time, we had two, two kids, two babies. Um, one was only 13 months older than the other, so it was kind of a surprise child, the second one. And I would come home from work, and the first thing Carol would do is say, here, and give me the kids, right? Because she... She had been working hard since early in the morning, not only getting us going and getting, to, getting me to work and getting the kids ready and feeding them and taking care of them and burping them and doing everything that's necessary, but it's been a long day. It's a, it's a full-time commitment. And, you know, for our young people, I, I think sometimes it's difficult for them to understand what it takes to really make it in the world, that it's really a full-time job. You know, they're used to summers off. They're used to being able to do a number of things at the same time. They, they, they work hard at school, but really when you think about it, they're taking 20 hours typically, right? 20 hours of classes a week, even with some studying. It's really not a full-time job yet. I, I remember when I was counseling people that were um, between jobs. I told them that seeking a job they had to understand was a full-time job in itself. They had to apply themselves that way. But many people can't understand full-time because they're too stuck on part-time. They're too interested in so many things that they can't focus on anything that's, that's really important. You can't spend most of your day playing videos and eating Doritos and think somehow that you're really accomplishing anything. Uh, So as it's Mother's Day, we all can agree that being a mother is indeed a full-time job. In our scripture today, Jesus is going to tell that to two people that come to him. That's going to be the main part of my sermon, but I want to get back and I want to pick up where we left off last week and Jesus is still healing. Verse 16 says this, it says, When evening had come, they brought to him, that's Jesus, many who were demon-possessed. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. So we see just like last week and even going back a few chapters before, Jesus is in the healing business. He's, he's healing and he's casting out demons. But did you know that Jesus paid a price? He paid a very, very high price for his ability to do this healing. In fact, it's quoting Isaiah 53. Matthew is quoting Isaiah 53. He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. That's known as the the forbidden chapter at the synagogues. The reason it's called the forbidden chapter, because if you read chapter 53 of Isaiah, it sounds like the New Testament. It sounds so much like Jesus. It had to be written about Jesus, and they understand that. So as a result, they don't read it in the synagogues because they missed it. Here's a piece of what Isaiah 53 says. Before the quote, it says, surely he, that's this Messiah, took our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we consider him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was, cruised, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. We, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to a slaughter, as a sheep before it shears is silent, he did not open his mouth. You see, Jesus paid a very high price in order to be the Messiah, to be the Savior of the world. These people come to him and he can heal them, he can cast out demons. But there was a price that he was going to pay to be able to do that. You see, Jesus never got married, he never had a family, he never had a nice house. He chose instead to be the savior of mankind. The price for his healing ministry? Well, it says that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was laid on him. That's why Matthew quotes it just saying, he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. But if we read that, we missed the part of the price that Jesus paid. You see, ministry to Jesus is actually more than a full-time job. Let's go on. Verse 18 is kind of stuck in here. It says, And when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. Well, where was he ministering? He was ministering in Capernaum, which is in Galilee. It's a town where Jesus lived. It's on the left-hand side of the Sea of Galilee. And on the right-hand side, he could cross over the lake to go to the Gentile region. Now, why would Jesus do that? Well, because people were pressing in on him. He was constantly being pressed by people, and the scripture says that he healed them all. He cast out the demons, and he healed all that were sick. People were coming to him, and as people got healed, they told their families, and more and more people came to him, but Jesus needed to get to the other side. He was going to go from present-day Israel to present-day Syria. He's going to the other side of Galilee. He was going to Gentile territory. And I'm so glad he did because we are Gentiles with the exception of Rhoda. We are Gentiles. We're Gentiles. But Jesus came to the Gentiles because when he got to the other side, he would also be healing. He would be teaching. He would be telling them parables because the Gentiles also were going to hear about the Messiah. Now, he's fully aware of the demands of his ministry and the people are pressing in on him. He realizes that he still needs to have a break. Uh, I, I look back at my, my time with Ford Motor Company as well as my time in ministry, and I realize that if you, if you burn the candle at both ends, you kind of get burned out. And there were times both at Ford as well as in ministry that I found that I was overextended. I needed to take a break. Jesus knew that it needed to take a break because Jesus had been ministering full-time. What's that called? It's called a full-time job. Let's look at verses 19 and 20. Then a certain scribe came to him and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. So this is just as Jesus is preparing to leave. He hasn't left yet. He's going to go to the other side. And in the crowd is this scribe. And a scribe comes to him and says, I'm going to follow you. Now, do you know what a, who a scribe is? Well, I mean, we know the scribe. The word scribe. The scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees, right? You've got all these different people. Well, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, when they had a dispute about the law, when they really wanted to know what Moses had said, what the Torah had said, they would go to a scribe. That's who this person was. By being a scribe, he's not even a rabbi, he's above a rabbi, he is extremely educated. He knows exactly what the Torah had to say. And he's following Jesus and he wants to follow Jesus. He wants to, to be one of the apostles. He wants to be one of the inside. This is the guy that Jesus would want, don't you think? I mean, if I was interviewing people, this is the guy that I would pick. He's got all the education, he's got all the background, he's willing to come. But Jesus is smarter than we are. Jesus tells him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Well, what is Jesus saying by that? Jesus is saying, you don't understand the commitment that's required to truly follow me, to be one of my inner circle. There's, this is not the Ramada. This is not the Marriott. This is not a, a luxury place. We, I, I tried my wife all the time because we love to travel. And, and to her, roughing it means you don't get mints on your pillow. Okay, That's, that's what it means. Now, I, I'm the same way. I mean, I'm used to nice things too. So when we travel, I always want to stay at a, at a hotel that has a hot breakfast. You know, not just muffins or donuts. I want a hot breakfast. And that's, to me, that's all I do. Well, Jesus is saying the same thing. He's saying, you don't understand the commitment that's required. I mean, think about the apostles, whether it's Peter or Paul or James or John, all of the apostles, they they all died a martyr's death, all with the exception of John. The commitment was extremely high, and sometimes they just don't understand. But this man was educated. He knew the law. He had all the necessary skills. He was just the right person. That Jesus should take, but Jesus tells him, no, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You don't understand the commitment that's required. You say you want to come, but you don't understand. This is more than a, a full-time job. You know, it, it kind of reminds me of the slogan of the Marines. I don't know if we have any Marines in here, but I, I love the Marines. I never served in the armed forces myself. But I love the Marines. You know, the slogan is the few, the proud, the Marines. And if you know Marines, like like if you know Al and you talk to him, you can't call him a former Marine, right? There's no such thing as a former Marine. If you're a Marine, you're still a Marine, right? Because it's part of them. There's a commitment that comes actually with any of the armed forces, but the Marines understand it so well. There's a commitment that comes to being a Marine. It's the training that's involved. It's the commitment to the to the job that's required. It's taking care of your six, taking care of the people around you. Uh, they understand that so well. In the same way, Jesus wanted the scribe to understand the commitment. And let me tell you, sometimes we don't understand that just being a disciple of Jesus also is, takes a commitment. I mean, we may not be asked to die like Peter or James or Paul. We may not be asked to go to Africa and serve as a missionary, but we're all called to be disciples. We live here in the, in the West. We live in the United States, in a state, in a city, in a town that's very favorable to Christian and Christian activities. We get to gather like this. We can do it in public. We can pass out gospel tracts if we want to. There's there's no prohibition about you buying a Bible or giving a Bible to somebody, but that's not true around the, around the country. But the beautiful reality is, is that regardless of the uncommon sacrifice that's required, we have Jesus. We have a beautiful Savior, a beautiful reality. If you follow Jesus, you have Jesus. And that's worth it all. That's what the commitment is about. Uh, Following Jesus requires a commitment, but Jesus is greater. Jesus is more beautiful. Jesus shines brighter. He's better than anything this world has to offer. Jesus understood that, but sometimes people that want to follow him don't understand the commitment that it actually requires. Let's continue. Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now, this is a very unusual saying for somebody like Jesus to say, let the dead bury the dead. But I want to back up and take a look. This is one of his disciples. This confuses a lot of scholars. They're saying, well, maybe this was one of John the Baptist's disciples. Maybe this was, maybe this is a misprint. You know, maybe Matthew was typing too fast and got the word his in there because it's man. No, there were many people that were following Jesus. Even go to the Sermon on the Mount, there were many people that came to Jesus and camped out and stayed and they sent word back to their family saying, I think we found the Messiah and they want to follow the Messiah. This is one of those people that is following Jesus. He's a disciple of Jesus, but he wants to go one time further. He wants to go and become one of his inner circle. And this is where Jesus is saying, wait wait for a minute. He says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus says, follow me, but let the dead bury their own dead. Now, it's interesting when you think about let the dead bury their own dead. What does that mean? Well, we know what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that God, Jesus is, is uh, disregarding thousands of years of Jewish tradition and taking care of the dead. Of uh, being able to be good to your family. This, this is not a man who has a shovel in his hand that his father had just died, and he's saying, oh, just give me a minute. I've got to throw a few shovelfuls of dirt on top of my dad because he just died. No, that's not what it is. Scholars believe it's, it's one of a couple of things, one of likely two situations. The first is that the father had not yet died, that he was elderly. And he was trying to tell Jesus that he wanted to fulfill a commitment that he had made to his family, that he would be the caretaker. He would take care of his father. We understand that, especially today. We understand that kind of commitment. And he's saying, let me take care of that commitment, and then I'll follow you. And Jesus is saying, no, this is a commitment that's required right now. If you really want to join the inner circle, the job starts today. It doesn't start a year from now. It starts today. The other possible situation, and I like this one, and this is what I teach, is that back in the time of Jesus in Israel, um, the burial process had actually two parts to it. And we actually see this with both, um, with, with both Lazarus and Jesus, the burial of Jesus. And typically, um, people, in, especially in Judah, where there was lots of caves, the people that were, would die would be wrapped in a shroud and put into a cave typically on a shelf or on the floor, depending on the size of the cave. And there would be air holes in the cave so that their air would circulate. And the idea was this, is to allow the body to decompose. And then after a year would go by, somebody from the family would go back in and take the bones, the dry bones, right? Remember Ezekiel's dry bones? He sees a field of dry bones. They would take the dry bones and they would put them into what's called an ossuary, okay? Which was inside the cave further back. And that way you could have multiple generations of families in the same small area in a cave because the only thing that was really left in there were the bones. Ezekiel sees, I mean, he sees this thing. He says, what do you see? Ezekiel says, I say bones, dry bones. Well, the these dry bones live. He knows that they died a long time ago. He's looking at the family remains of many, many generations of Jewish people. And the Lord says, can these bones live? So this is most likely the situation, this outer room where the body would lay on the floor and then after a year it would be taken in. But Jesus says this, he says, follow me and let the dead bury the dead. So, most likely that's the situation. But Jesus is doing one thing further. He's making a comparison, right, between life and death. He says, You don't understand. Allow the alive. I've come here for the living. I give life. Jesus says that the thief does not come to steal, except to steal, to kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is the living. We live in a world of dead people. We live in a world where many, many are dead. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me, to the Father, except through me. This is the life death situation that Jesus is presenting to all of us. As disciples, we, you see, it doesn't matter whether we have to miss a, a funeral or delay the completion of a family burial or, or, or not be able to have the career we want or not be able to go on the vacation we want. Whatever it is that God is calling you to do, He wants you to do it. To understand that being a disciple of Jesus Christ requires a commitment. It is a, a full-time job. Family, fame, wealth, a great career, fancy hotels, luxurious travel, even a beautiful family. Nothing can be compared to being a disciple of Jesus Christ, to understanding who Jesus is. It's good. It's good to bear your loved ones. There's a lot of good things in this world that we can do. In fact, that's what's interesting. is that I don't know if you remember back in 2001, there was a, a book that came out by Jim Collins called Good to Great. Many of you probably read the book. It, it sold something like eight, nine million copies. It was a tremendous book. And what Jim Collins said is this. He said, so often good is the enemy of great. That many people are okay with good and they're satisfied with good, so therefore they never seek great. And see, this is actually what we see in the story of both the rabbi, both the the scribe as well as the disciple that came to Jesus and wanted to follow him. And Jesus is saying, understand there's a cost. You're stuck in good. You need to go to great, but great requires a, a great cost. And I think... Good to Great was really a business book, but it has spiritual implications as well, great spiritual implications. And the best way that I can explain the spiritual implication is tell you another story, like stories, right? So this is going back to my, my wife and I. When we were first married, I was working for Ford. We had not—we didn't have any children yet, yet. And see, we're used to Michigan and Illinois, and we skied. We knew how to ski. We love skiing in Illinois and Michigan, but Illinois and Michigan skiing is... So-so compared to, like, Colorado and the Rockies and even out east in Pennsylvania. It's much a different, completely different thing. So I had a trip. My my first trips was to Denver, Colorado. And it's like, oh, Carol, why don't you, why don't we leave on Friday instead of me going on Monday? Why don't we fly out on Friday? We'll fly early on Friday. I'll take a day off, and we'll go ski. We had never been out to the Rocky Mountains, and we would want to go skiing. I think that was a great idea. So we we packed up and we went out to to Colorado. We rented some equipment. We went to this beautiful little chalet. It's one of these little chalets where you all have group meals together. You know, you have a bathroom, but it's kind of a kind of a Kind of a rough place, kind of a but kind of rugged place, but it was wonderful. So we skied a little bit on Friday, skied on Saturday, and just had a, a wonderful time. We had never experienced that kind of skiing in Michigan or in Illinois that we had. We were in the Rocky Mountains. We went out to, uh, went out to one of the one of the uh, went out to, Where did we go, Carol? We went to uh, Mary Jane. We went to. You can't remember Sugarloaf. We went to Sugarloaf. Went to Sugarloaf Mountain. So we just had a great time. So. This was the thing, so we had a great time. Sunday morning, we get back in the bus, this is the bus from the little village we were in, going back to the airport, because Carol was gonna fly back home, I was gonna go, it was, go back to Denver, and stay in Denver to, to, to get my, to my friends at Ford Motor Company were coming in. One of the people on the bus had one of these trail maps. Remember those little trail maps? You ever been skiing before? Trail map tells you about all the different trails on the mountain. We didn't have that in Michigan. We didn't have it in Illinois. There's no need for it because you can see the top of the mountain. There's no reason to have a trail map. I had not seen one. Even though we had been at the mountain for two days, we had not seen one. So I borrowed it and took a look at it. To our amazement, we had been skiing on the bottom one-third of the mountain. See, we didn't know that after you went up the first gondola ride, you were supposed to ski to this little place and then take a gondola all the way to the top of the mountain. Because if you went to the top of the mountain, the skiing was amazing. I mean, there was nothing like it at all. The bottom third of the mountain was okay. It was just good. But the great was at the top of the mountain. And I've used this story a few times in churches because so often as, as church people, as people that love Jesus, we're, we're stuck in good. We're, we're satisfied with coming to church on a Sunday and telling people that we pray for them and putting a few dollars in the offering and being a Christian, but there's so much more than that. There's, God is calling some of us to, to be able to reach out, to be able to support missionaries, to be able to, to be a prayer partner, to be able to intercede for your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, to be able to, to be a difference. There's still so much more that we could do. God is calling us to be able to do something, but we don't want the full-time job. We're happy with the part-time job, just like this scribe, just like this follower of Jesus Christ. We weren't ready for the the full commitment. And the reason is, is because the choice sometimes is a choice between life and death. It isn't just a choice between good and great. We understand there's a commitment that comes. So, So what's our lesson for today? How do we leave today and take a lesson away from this? Well, we have to understand that sometimes the most valuable opportunities we have are the ones that are given to us by the Lord that are They look easy to do, but we have to still be able to be willing to do them. We have to be willing to pray. We have to be willing to give. We have to be able to do the hard work, the effort. But remember, that it's always by faith. We came to Jesus by faith. It isn't by our hard work. It isn't by working our way into heaven. It's because of what Jesus had already done for us. We come knowing that we are loved. We are precious in his sight and allow Jesus to lead us where we need to go, to go from good to go from a part-time to a full-time commitment with Jesus Christ. We quoted off earlier, quoting Isaiah 53, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was put on him. That's our Savior. That's our Jesus. That's who we follow. Jesus says, come to me, all who you are burdened and heavy laden, and i will give you rest amen amen let's pray father god we want you've been listening to faith dialogue with pastor ken Baer, recorded live at celebrate seniors a ministry of faith dialogue you can listen to or watch all of the recordings at faith dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org